Well, this week, um, yeah, I've had a number of conversations with pastors, some local, some elsewhere. And the main thing that we were, we were talking about in, in our conversations, it always kind of came back to how the flock is doing. How are our churches doing in these pandemic days? Because these are hard days. These are weird days. We know this pandemic has been going on for months now. I think many of us thought it would probably be over by now. We thought it would be a couple months and then we'd be back to normal. But obviously it hasn't, and the Lord alone knows how long it's going to last. But, but one of the things that we continue to talk about in our conversations as pastors is, is the concern we have for the flock, the concern that we see even for things going on in our own souls, some of the apathy that we feel and the way that affection for one another because we're not seeing one another is, is dampened, and how we, even as we talked about last week, how how Satan has schemes right now. That when you read through the New Testament, this sort of situation where Christians are hindered from being around one another and enjoying one another's encouragements and fellowship and all of this, that this is the sort of atmosphere for apostasy, where the love of many can grow cold, where can we, we can become transactional in our uh, relationship with God where we can become distant from one another and even find some perceived safety and not having to be open with one another and sacrifice for one another and serve with one another and be encouraging one another and stretching for one another and confessing our sins to one another and all of those normal things that God has the life of a body to be doing, they're hindered right now in a way that is spiritually dangerous for us. And as we talked, we tried to encourage each other and point one another back to God and His sufficiency and the fact that the Lord loves His church more than we do. But it was very interesting as I came to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 to hear the same sort of concerns that Paul, that, I, that we have for this congregation and for congregations everywhere who are struggling right now that Paul had for the church in Thessalonica. Last week, we saw how concerned he was about Satan's schemes against them. And now, once again, we're going to hear this, this theme of con concern, but also rejoicing because he's gotten word back from them that things are going well. You'll remember that Paul and, and Silas and, and Timothy had planted this young church in Thessalonica and that they were under spiritual and physical attack. And it gave great concern to Paul because he was away from them and he didn't know how they were doing. He had heard rumor that they were okay, but he also heard rumor that there was hard things going on. So he was concerned for them. So he sent Timothy back to check in and see how their faith is doing and to relay the apostles' love to them. And we pick it up in chapter 3, verse 6, where Paul relays to the Thessalonians how he felt when he heard the good news that Timothy brought back to them about their faith. Chapter 3, verse 6. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you, for this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. 
For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you, for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God? As we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith, now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his holy ones or saints. If we're going to try and summarize this section in, in one big idea, it might be something like this. Fervent love produces holiness that prepares us to stand before Jesus. Fervent love for one another and for, for the world produces holiness that establishes us, that prepares us to stand before Jesus. Once again, we're noticing here that Paul continually, and, and Silas and Timothy, they're always God-oriented in this. In everything that they're doing, they're thinking about God, and they're thinking about their, the people's relationship with God, and they're thinking about the fact that Christ is coming soon. This is continually on their radar, and in light of that, everything that's going on in the life of this Thessalonian church matters to him. And he wants their love to be fervent so it can produce holiness, so they can be ready to stand before Jesus. Now, the way we're going to consider this text is in, in two major sections. The, verses, the first is verses 6 through 10, where we're going to see we are to find comfort in the flourishing of others' faith. To find comfort in the flourishing of others' faith. And then secondly, in verses 11 through 13, we are to cultivate love in light of Christ's return. To cultivate love in light of Christ's return. Let's look first here in verses 6 through 10, that we are to find comfort in the flourishing of others' faith. So you'll remember that Paul, Silas, and Timothy are under constant attack for their witness of the gospel. And the only thing that could comfort them was to be assured that God was sustaining the faith of the young churches that they were pouring their lives out for. They are pouring out their lives and they are being afflicted and the one thing that keeps them going, aside from him knowing that it pleases God, is the fact that God is bearing fruit in the lives of these people that he cares about so much. You can hear it here in these, these verses that he could endure affliction and persecution and rejection by the world as long as he found that their love for God and their love for others was flourishing. And Paul has received that good news from Timothy. You notice there in verse 6, Timothy has come to us from you and he has brought us the good news. It's interesting, it's the same word that's used for gospel, of evangelism, of, of sharing the gospel. There's some good news, there's gospel from Timothy about what the gospel's done among you. And there's three pieces of good news that he highlights for us here. The first is that we've got the good news of your faith. This is referring to their, their relationship with God, their, their orientation with, with the Father. 
that the gospel had indeed taken root and was now bearing fruit. Timothy comes back and assures Paul that that's still happening. They are persevering in faith despite the persecution that has tempted them to forsake Jesus. That's good news. He's heard about their faith. Second thing that he's heard about there is your love. We got the good news of your faith and love. So the first was toward God and now this one is toward others. The evidence of uh, their life in Christ was their love for others. Six times in this letter, this idea of loving one another shows up. They are gathering together despite the opposition that's coming against them. They are weeping with one another in their tragedies. They are sacrificing for one another. They are serving one another when needs arise. They are encouraging each other with the words that the apostles had taught them as they are awaiting the return of Jesus and enduring whatever trial and tribulation they may be facing. As we're going to see through the rest of this letter, and if you read on into 2 Thessalonians, he's, he's talking here about a very real, practical love. So it's not just warm and fuzzies. There's some of that. There certainly is affection, and we'll get into that in a moment. But, but they are loving one another with real, practical ways. It's changing the lives of the church. And that's good news, he says. Good news of your faith, of your love, and then thirdly, of your affection. Good news of your affection. Verse 6, you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. You see, the Thessalonians don't just put up with Paul. They love him. They love him. They are endeared to him. They are indebted to him. He has served them with the word of the gospel. He has helped them to know who Jesus is and how to walk with him. They have, they have a, a real, deep, growing, holy affection for Paul and these other brothers, and as we've seen throughout the letters, for all these other churches, just as Paul does for them. The fire of God's love is burning brightly in the hearts of these people. There is real affection that they have for one another, and, and Paul says, this is good news. There's good news about your faith toward God, your love for one another, and our affection. It's a mutual affection, and that is good news in his estimation. So in one sense, the report about the church couldn't be better. They are fulfilling the great commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, their faith, and love your neighbor as yourself. Love and, and affection there. And it's coming from the heart. So this is all good news. Now, I think it'd be helpful for us to consider two observations about all of this that I think have bearing for us in these, these particular days, always, but uniquely now. First thing I think it's important for us to notice here in these verses 6 down through 10 is that our spiritual joy ought be tied to others' spiritual well-being. Our spiritual joy ought to be tied to others' spiritual well-being. Did you notice how Paul's joy was stoked by this good report? Verse 7, in all our distress and affliction, so it's been hard, y'all, we have been comforted about you 
through your faith. For we now live if you are standing fast in the Lord. Paul's spiritual vitality is tied to his disciples. Not in some sort of unhealthy, codependent way that's unstable and idolatrous. Not talking about that. But, but in a way that makes complete sense because he loves them. If you really love someone, how you're doing is tied to how they're doing. His spiritual well-being, his joy is linked because they are one body. Even though they're away from one another physically, they are united together in spirit because that's the work of the Holy Spirit. This is why Christians grieve when we see our brothers and sisters suffering on the other side of the planet, even if we've never met them. There's an affection that we have for them or ought to have where we weep when we see the ways that so many of our brothers and sisters are treated around the world. If you're married, you, you understand this in a, in a unique way that if, if your spouse is brokenhearted or struggling, that, that there's, there's no way you're just fine unless you're some kind of sociopath, right? I mean, like this is... That you're not, things are not just good. If they're over there really weeping and mourning, that you're like, yeah, it's fine, I'm good. No, that's not love. L love unites, the hearts are united in a way that cares about others. And you think about what, what I do affects you and what you do affects me. And that's on the mind for the Christian. It's not just what's good for me, but it's, it's what's good for us. Because we're one. This is, this is what love is to be like for, for believers. Our spiritual joy ought to be tied to others' spiritual well-being. Look again at verse 8. If we, we live if you are standing fast or firm in the Lord. This metaphor of standing fast is used six times in the New Testament about perseverance in faith. You're not some runner who's fallen over and quit but you're gonna stand firm, you're gonna keep running. Remaining steadfast in devotion to Jesus. Paul says we live, we find life, we find encouragement because you're flourishing in your walk with Jesus. Paul says we're getting our faces kicked in over here in all these trials and tribulations, but you know what? It's worth it all because we hear that your love for Jesus is flourishing. He's aided by their faith. Paul's joy is tied to their faith and how it's doing. And it's interesting. You can hear this tone in many of Paul's letters. I mean, when you read the Corinthians, listen, he loves them, but there is some godly frustration with their worldliness. He's like, I mean, the first, first half of the first chapter, he's like, listen, God loves y'all. Y'all are holy and set apart, but we got talk. And he goes in on them, and you can feel it because he's concerned about how worldly they are. He loves the Galatians, but he is absolutely terrified and mystified by how in the world are you embracing this false gospel of Jesus plus something? You can read it in Philippians where he loves them and he, but, and he hopes that his joy can bring them joy because he's got joy in the midst of his afflictions and he's hoping that can spill over into them because he cares about them so much. Or in Philemon, where he, he pulls the spiritual father card on him. 
because he entreats him to, to, to care well for his beloved Onesimus with brotherly love because he's come to know the Lord. You see, for Paul, Christianity is not theory. It is real. It's real life where he has gotten life from Christ and it's united him with others and that affects him. So I want to ask you, brothers and sisters, do you sense that your spiritual joy is tied to others' spiritual well-being? Do you ever think about how others are doing in their walks with the Lord? And does it matter to you? Not in a way that tosses you to and fro. I think there are, there are unhelpful ways to be tied to how others are doing. But we weep with those who weep and we rejoice with those who rejoice. This is, this is part of what the Spirit produces in our lives. So for instance, you, you may be thriving in this pandemic season. For some people, this has been, despite all the tragic effects of the pandemic, in many ways that this has been one of the best times spiritually that you've had in a long time, where you've actually used the extra time to read God's Word, and that you've, you've been thoughtful and slowed down and, and talked to family members or roommates or others in ways that you just, just hadn't. And maybe this is one of the most spiritually refreshing times that you've had. But as a church, we need to know that not everybody's in that boat. <laughs> and not everybody's always in that boat. So sometimes you're in the, I'm great. And then you're not. It's kind of like when you read the Psalms, David's like, I'm fine, I'm not fine. I'm fine, I'm not fine. I'm bad, I'm good, I'm bad. Like, Lord, we're like up and down. Most of us are like that through all of this. This has been a hard season for many. Losing jobs, housing, visa issues, schooling, a lot of racial tension, obviously. This is, a, this is a hard time. And I, I, I mention that not to call us to feel guilty, but to, to call us to have godly concern for one another. Do you care how others are doing in their walk with the Lord right now? Are you grieved when others are grieved? There, there ought to be no sense, sin, sense in which another Christian is being afflicted afflicted, and we are apathetic. There should be no sense in which another Christian is being afflicted, and we are apathetic. That is so opposite of Jesus, it's, you can't even put it in the same category. I mean, Christ came toward the afflicted, not shrugged it off. Apathy is the opposite of love. Indifference to another's relationship with Jesus is evidence that there is something unhealthy in your relationship with Jesus. So hear me, if this has been the best time that you've ever had with Jesus and you've never felt closer to Jesus, but you haven't given a thought to if others are doing well with Jesus, then I might say you're actually not doing as well with Jesus as you think you are. Because love toward God is going to produce love for others. First John is really clear, you can't have you can't have one with, without the other. And again, this is not some guilt trip for you. May the Lord use this in however he needs to. 
Pray for God to give you a heart that is concerned with the spiritual well-being of others. Only God can give that. So would you pray for God to do that? As you go through the membership directory, pray for people's walks with God. That's the first observation. Our spiritual joy ought to be tied to others' spiritual well-being. The second observation from this section is this. Godly affection, godly affection compels us to be near one another. Godly affection compels us to be near to one another. He said this last week in 2.17, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you. Then here in 3.6, Timothy reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. Verse 10, we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face. Paul desires and plans and prays to be near to them. It's very interesting. There, this is a, there is a, a theme, a theological, biblical theme of presence, not presence like Christmas, but presence like near you, that, that is just unmistakable. And, and Paul is tapping into that right here. There is a face-to-faceness about Christianity that is distinct. I mean, think about it. In the Garden of Eden, we walked with the Lord in the cool of the day. You knew God, not by faith, but with his presence. He was there with his people. Adam and Eve in chapter 2 were naked and without shame. There were no barriers between them. There was no bitterness, no scars from sin that separated them. They knew one another. And this is one of the devastating effects of sin. There's a loss of presence in some sense. To now, we can't see God anymore. We, we, We know him by faith, not by sight. Knowing others is terribly difficult. I mean, you can, you can live with someone as a roommate or a family member and just feel like you don't even know them. You could be in the same place and then not, but not know. Knowing one another, affection, deep, true knowingness is deeply affected by, by sin. You see, sin works against intimacy and against nearness. Our sinful nature tempts us to wrongly relate to others, to dominate and control them like Cain, or to run from them, either with apathy, indifference, or just arrogant opposition like Jonah. Sin works against the the gift of nearness, intimacy, presence. But this is, of course, the good news of the gospel, right? That that's what Jesus came to to fix. That Jesus came among us. He didn't just shout from the clouds and be like, yo, here's the answer. (laughs) That's not what he did. He came among us. He tabernacled among us, which is a pattern of God all through the Old Testament that we don't have time to dive into. But Christ comes among us face to face, breathes our air, drinks our water, eats our food 
endures our sufferings and shame. He's among us. And then on the cross, he dies there, suffering for our sins. And then three days later, he rose from the dead. And, and now what's the good news? The good news is that if you repent of your sin and turn from your sin and trust in Christ, you are born again and forgiven and reconciled to the Father. That you now know him. And God, not, you think the incarnation's amazing, it is, but not just the incarnation, but the indwelling of the Spirit. God's Spirit now dwells in His people. He is a near God. He is a God who is present with His people. We are reconciled to Him. And not only that, but He doesn't stop there. So that's vertically, but then horizontally, He does the same thing, right? He tears down the wall of hostility, Ephesians 2.14 says. He himself is our peace. He has made the two one. We are one body, one family. He unites us by his spirit in Christ. That we can know one another. And of course, our sinful flesh wants to shrug off this miraculous work of God. Our flesh will make excuses about how we can get around this being known stuff we're going to find a way to stay distant and act like we got it together or, or just relate to one another in a way that, that seems good and is shallow or just avoid people, right? But this is where I think we need to see from this text that the, the reason he's rejoicing so much is because he sees evidence of the Spirit that is giving real affection for one another, that is drawing them close to one another. They desire to be with each other even though they have to be apart for a little while. I mean, one of the primary reasons he wants to be near them is not only to enjoy their company, to get back to eating together, which would be nice, but also supremely, look at verse 10, we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. He wants to be near to them to do spiritual good to them. Because remember, his joy is tied to their faith. That's why he wants to be near them so that he can do good to them so that they can flourish and he can flourish being helped by them. He wants to supply what is lacking in your faith. He knows that they are incomplete, just as all Christians are. We need one another. And he's highlighting that here. So I want to ask you, Delray Baptist, do you desire? I'm not just asking if you're willing to put up with. I'm saying, do you desire to be personally present with fellow believers? Do you desire to be near believers? Do you desire to be near them, to help them grow in their walks with Jesus and to receive help in your walk with Jesus? Evidence of the Spirit's work is to have affection for one another and desire for one another. And believe me, this can grow cold. It's like the embers in a campfire, if left unattended by morning, they will be out. And this is one of my greatest concerns right now for our church. There is a temptation, and I'm not just singling out our church. This was a common theme among many pastors that I've spoken to, but there is, there is a temptation right now for some of us to get used to or maybe even grown to enjoy our ability to not be around each other. 
Corona has made, I'm not talking about the bad Mexican beer, I'm talking about, I'm talking about Rona has made some of us comfortable in our isolation. We kind of like not having to be around people. Have you found yourself starting to do that yet? When somebody's like, hey, you want to get together? And you're like, ah, Rona. You know, we can't Rona right now. Which It's like a reflex. Just want to caution us. Isolation saps affection. The longer you're away from one another, the easier it is for your affection for one another to grow cold. The author of Hebrews knew this. Hebrews 3.13 says, exhort one another on Sundays. Nope. Exhort one another every day. Every day. For how long? As long as it's called today. Why? That none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. One of the prescriptions to help you persevere in faith is daily affectionate encouragement from fellow believers to keep seeking Jesus rather than to be tempted to be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. You see, and sin is deceitful, and it's working in all of our hearts even right now. This is an extremely dangerous spiritual time. And I'm not, I'm not some alarmist, okay? But, but isolation from fellow believers and being under the word together hinders us from receiving one of God's primary graces in helping us to persevere in faith in Christ. This is why he says later in that letter, Hebrews 10, 24, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. I want you to see here, godly affection compels us to be near one another, to help one another to walk with Jesus. Now, I am not telling you to do anything illegal. I am not telling you to do anything life-threatening. Faith does not dismiss reason and wise counsel from informed sources. I'm also not saying that if you're hesitant to be around people, that you have less faith or that you don't love people. I'm not saying that, though that may be the case. So I'm also not not saying that. (laughs) You and the Lord are going to have to wrestle with this, right? Listen, I love y'all, all all right? But there's times I've been like, you know what, this ain't so bad. No offense, just hang in with me. You know what? It's okay to not be around people a little bit. And listen, I think some of us really needed some step away time generally, but not from one another. I think we need to do some real, honest heart evaluation before the Lord. What I am saying is that our desire to be near one another and our affection for one another is evidence of God's Spirit working in us. There is a depth of spiritual refreshment that won't happen when there is distance. Listen, Paul, Paul knew there was something exceptionally important about being present with them. It was good that they had his teachings. 
It was good that they had his letters, but it was better to have Timothy. It was better for Timothy to be with him. And on top of that, it was better for them to have both Timothy and Paul and Silas and everybody. It would have been better. Listen, there is something that even the best technology cannot give. There's something about gathering and seeing each other's faces and hearing each other's voices, even if masked and muffled. There is something about sitting under God's word together where we we hear Alex and those who are learning to snap or to amens or to clap. Listen, all my clappers must be home. We just sang a great song, not nobody clapping. We need you clapping, okay? We need one another. There's something that happens when the people of God are together. God uses that to cultivate love and fuel endurance. So, I want to ask you, what are you doing to actively show your love for your brothers and sisters in Christ? Do not hear this as an automatic, this means that you should be back in church gathering with us. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that. I'm not trying to stoke self-righteousness for those of you who are in the building, okay? Because you can show up here and not care about people at all just as much as if you sat home and not cared about people, okay? But I'm also not trying to stoke guilt for those who are at home and are wrestling with, with real things that you're thinking through. What I am saying is this. I am praying that we as a congregation will push the limits of our comfort levels for the sake of building up each other's faith. Do the basics of praying for each other through the membership directory. Call each other, do video calls. Consider gathering with the church if you aren't. Some of you may have really good reasons to not do that. Would you at least talk to the elders about it? And even the isolated posture of, I don't need to talk to anybody about that. I just want you to know that's, I wanna encourage you to not do that. Do social distance hangouts. Listen, it is better to sit 20 feet apart with masks in the same yard talking to one another than over a screen. Stretch yourselves. We need each other's presence. Pray for God to give you wisdom, courage, to fight fear. The elders would be happy to talk with you about this, but seek opportunities to creatively be near one another in ways that are wise right now. The main thing that the pastors talked about was that we don't think that we as churches are going to automatically be better for being apart from each other. We're going to have to work against all of the negative things that that Satan is trying to do to cool our affections for each other. So find comfort in the flourishing of others' faith. The second point, verses 11 through 13. Cultivate love in light of Christ's return. Cultivate love in light of Christ's return. Verse 11. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. 
So once again, Paul prays that God will open a door and make a way for him to visit the Thessalonian church. And as he's praying for him, there's several observations here in this section that I think are important to point out. The first is this. Notice here that God empowers what God commands. God empowers what God commands. He prays uh, there in verse 12, may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all. The increasing and abounding in love that God calls for is empowered and aided by God himself. We don't love from mere willpower or adjusting our schedules, but we are given grace from God that produces love for one another. This is why he prays for it. He doesn't say, hey, there's some diet you got to get on or here's the secret verse and all these kinds of things. He said, pray. Look to God and say, God, change my heart. Give me strength to love people because naturally I don't. This is what it means, by the way, to be gospel-centered. If you hear that lingo, it's, it's, a, it's a mindset for believers that has dependence on God where we say, God, help me to do what's not natural. Help me. And we do that with confidence, that God empowers what God commands. Another thing to notice here is that our love ought to always be growing. Our love ought to always be growing. This is similar to some of the themes that we heard earlier, but he says here, make, or may the Lord make you increase and abound in love. His prayer for them is not to have a stagnant love, but an ever deepening, always developing love. He prays that God will make their love to increase. It means to, to grow, to multiply, to be extended, and to abound, to be over and above, to go beyond, to, to a, a degree that's considered excessive. The, the word is used elsewhere in, in literature to describe people who have so much money that they don't know what to do with. That's not my situation, but I've seen people who are like that. They just don't know what to do. They just throw money around. He says in the same way, be like that with your love. May, you have, may your love for God be so full in your heart that it gives you love for others that overflows, that you're constantly, it's just if they get near you, they're going to get loved. Are we loving on people? Just love them, okay? Loving on people is, and don't do that, but love people. That's a Christian lingo that we need to get rid of, but love people practically, thoughtfully, with words, with deeds, caring for them. May it be ever increasing and ever abounding. Throughout this series, from time to time, I've just paused it and pointed this out. I just, Ravi, I just want to encourage you, brother. I just want to say over the past number of months, I have watched you grow in love. I mean, you're even sitting next to, to Brother Wilson, who I know you've, you've served him and his family in many ways. Brother, I don't mean to put you on the spot, but I just want you to know I've been encouraged by your love. I see you trusting the Lord. I see you leaning in and, and receiving love from him, and I see it coming out in others, toward others. So keep doing it, right? And I can go around this room and talk about so many of you that I see it in. Listen, I think we are a church that does love one another well. May it happen more. 
May it happen more. Pray that for us, that we would always be growing in our love. A third observation here is that our our love is aimed at, at all people. Our love is aimed at all people. Notice here he says again, verse 12, may the Lord make uh, may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all. The expectation is for Christians to love one another. John 13, 34, Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, all people will know you are my disciples if you have love for one another. We are a body, so we are members of one another. We are families. So we care about one another. We are debtors to grace, so we ought to have humble postures toward one another. We are to love one another. And there is a priority here of loving fellow believers. So fellow believers are to, to love one another, and he says, and others. But, but I think it is important to see here that there is a love first for our immediate family. As, as fellow believers. Galatians 6.10 echoes the same thing. As we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. This does not mean there's a snobbery in our love, but a priority where we do seek to care for our spiritual family first and foremost, but not at the neglect of all. He says here the Christians are to have love for all. We ought to love all our fellow image bearers, whether they be kind neighbors or evil enemies. We are to have a charitable disposition and concern for all. Is this evident in your life? Would people know that you are indeed a child of God because of the way that you love them? Listen, y'all, we live in a day and I think the, the Rona stuff and everything has just amped things up. But we live in a hostile day where there are badge of righteousness for tearing others down. And Christians have a very unique opportunity to use our words and our deeds in unique ways that set us apart and offer hope to a world that has no idea how to care for one another. I mean, listen to the instruction that Jesus gave in the Sermon on the Mount. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his son to rise on the evil and on the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even Gentiles do the same? He says... Even people who don't fear God are going to be kind to people who are kind to them. Our love is to be distinct. You see, Christians, we must remember that our love is not reserved only for those who believe like us or look like us or think like us or vote like you or believe, believe like you or act like you. Our love is to mimic the love of Jesus who sought people who are other. You don't talk about being other. Like us to God is other. So however hard it may be for you to love somebody else who's difficult, just remember how difficult it is to love you. No offense, but this is what Jesus came for. He didn't come for people who are easy to love or who are worthy of love. Jesus only ever loves unworthy people, including us. 
which ought to make us humble and loving as well. Finally, love in light of Christ's coming. Look again at verse 12. May the Lord make you increase and abound in love so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Once again, what Paul does now is he says, okay, all this practical talk about love and about encouraging one another and about being together and about affection, I want you to, the reason I'm doing it is because of what's coming. Jesus is coming back. He is most certainly coming again. And when he does, he will bring all his holy ones, his saints and the angels as well. They will come with him. And at that time, he will unveil all things. And every human who has ever lived will be brought before him on that day for evaluation and examination, including us. And on that day, our hearts will be exposed before God who sees all and knows all. Listen to this from 1 Corinthians 4. When the Lord comes, he will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. That means God knows everything we've ever done, every word we've ever said, to people or about people, every motive. He knows it all. And nothing will escape his all-seeing eye on that day. And so what Paul is doing is he's giving instructions to the Thessalonians and to us to help us to prepare for that day. What we do this day is informed by that day. He wants them and us to have hearts who we truly are, to be established before God, to be strengthened and sustained as blameless, innocent, guiltless, without charge, in holiness, he says here, a set-apartness, distinctness. Let me say it this way. Practical holiness in our lives is not an option. Practical holiness in our lives in regards to our love for others is not an option. It is essential for salvation. Hebrews 12, 14. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. We must be holy if we will be able to stand blameless before a holy God. Now, how does that happen? Well, what Paul has in view here is, is sanctification, but we need to begin with justification. How do we stand before a holy God on that day to be established? Well, it begins by understanding that we are naturally condemned before God because we're sinners. But to realize that Jesus came and he died and he was condemned on the cross for us and then he rose from the dead. And then now if we will repent of our sins and believe in him, we will be justified. We will be declared righteous. Though we're not actually righteous, he will declare us righteous. Why? Because he takes our sin, nails it to the cross, and he gives us the righteousness of Christ, which we now stand in legally justified before a holy God. So I want to be very clear. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Crystal clear. But faith that saves is never alone. If you have a saving faith, it will transform your life. It's evidence. If something's alive, it will be seen. 
This is where he's talking about here. This is his emphasis here on their sanctification. That our union with God through Jesus produces a real relationship with God. And by his spirit, he transforms us to become holy like Jesus. Where we are set apart from sin and we are set apart to him. And it's gradual, but it's certain. And key to growing in holiness is growing in love. You see, practical holiness is fueled by love for one another. Fervent love produces holiness that prepares us to stand before God. You see, loving others by God's strength Standing as justified children of God, but, but, but loving one another in God's strength has a purifying effect on our hearts and our lives. The kind of love that Paul has here in mind for them and for us is one that extends beyond what's comfortable, that risks being hurt, that forgives when it's offended, that pursues others despite challenges, that serves others for the sake of helping them to see God's love that speaks with the same kind of grace and truth that Jesus did. A love that forces us outside of ourselves. And God's Spirit uses our interactions with one another to shape us and to mold us and to make us more holy. This is where good works flourish. And this is what Paul once has in mind for the Thessalonian church and for us. He would say, you have been saved. You are sealed. You are secured in the grace of God. It is now evidenced by your love. And what I want to do, says Paul, for you is I want to fan into flame your affection for one another so that it keeps growing and you keep getting stronger and loving one another all the more that on that day there might be much evidence that abounds to the glory of God that you indeed are his child. It is proven because your names are written in the Lamb's book of life. And then there are deeds. And those deeds that fill the books are deeds of the Spirit that are evidences of love toward one another. So Delray Baptist Church, my hope for us as a church is that we will hear this word and that we will consider it. I want to encourage you, if you've heard something today that you're either confused about or that you think, I don't know how this applies right now because here's how I'm dealing with things in the pandemic, don't do it alone. If you're going to community group, reach out to community group leader or reach out to any of the elders. We desire to talk with you. But Delray Baptist, please remember that we are in dangerous days. These are the sort of days that Jesus spoke of where people's love grows cold for God and for one another. And he uses our love for one another and intentional mutual pursuit of each other to build faith and to strengthen us that we may keep going until we see him face to face. So do not lose heart. Do not lose hope because Christ is coming soon. Let us love until then.